go ahead and, and grab that Bible. If you have a Bible with you, go ahead and turn it to the Gospel of John, chapter 14. As I said, if you don't have one with you, just grab one from these black chair pockets. If you don't own a Bible, you can keep that one. That's yours. We're turning to John, chapter 14, beginning in verse 15. So if you're using one of the black Bibles, that's page 771. And in the gold Bibles, it's on page 525. I'll give you a second to get there. Um, and then let's read this. Let's read this together. John 14, beginning in verse 15. This is Jesus speaking. If you love me, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you yet a little while, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the, the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away, and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. Let's pray. Our Father, we, we give you thanks again as we, we want to give thanks every day, certainly every Sunday. We give you thanks for your word, that it is living and active, that in it you are speaking to us by your spirit. And we, we ask as we ask every day that you would open our eyes, open our hearts, that we would come to know you more through this, that you would come and work by your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So now let's, let's remember what's happening when Jesus speaks these words. It's the, the festival of the Passover, the time when, when Jews come from all the whole area to Jerusalem in order to remember and celebrate how God had brought them out of slavery in Egypt. And Jesus is in Jerusalem, as everyone is crowded in there. He and his disciples are in an upper room, 
and they're gathered around a low table. They're reclining at table. They're, they've been having this, this feast together, this special celebration. But at some point during the evening, during the meal, the things that Jesus has been saying to them, the, his words have suddenly and markedly changed the tone of the meal. Things have become very serious and very poignant because Jesus has been telling them that in a very short period of time, he's going to leave them. He's going away. And they're, they're trying to wrap their minds around what that could mean. And they're reeling from another bombshell that he dropped during dinner, which is that one of them is going to betray him. And in fact, very soon after he says that to them, Judas, who was his disciple, who was betraying him, went out from the room, went out into the night to start the chain reaction of events that are going to very shortly lead to Jesus being arrested and crucified. By, by this time, the next day, Jesus' body is going to be cold in a tomb. Now, when you are talking to someone you love and you know it's the last time, you don't talk about the weather or sport or Captain Marvel, right? You only talk about the things that are really important to you, the things you want to make sure you get across. And these chapters of John's gospel that we're walking through between now and Easter, are they're just full of what matters to Jesus, what he really wants his followers to know about what it's going to be like to walk with him, to, to follow him when he's no longer physically with them, when he has gone away. And at the heart of what Jesus wants them to understand about how they'll keep living for him after he's died and risen and ascended to heaven is the work of the Holy Spirit. And that's what he has in view in the passage we're looking at this morning. So we're going to ask three questions about what Jesus says in this passage about the Holy Spirit, whom he calls the helper. We want to ask, who is the helper? How does the helper help? And whom does the helper help? And you have an outline on the back of your bulletin if you got that one when you came in. So first, who is the helper? Look at verse 16. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, right? So I said he was the Holy Spirit. Now you can see it. Look at verse 26. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name. So the Helper is the Spirit, but, but who's that? Who, who is the Holy Spirit? Well, first we need to see that he's a person. He's not a force or a power. Jesus calls him another Helper. Now, we're going to get to what Helper means in a little bit, but just now I want you to notice that he says another Helper which means there's already been a helper that they've had. So who's the helper they already have? It's Jesus. Jesus is saying, what I have been for you for the last three years, from now on, the Holy Spirit will be for you. So my children are six and four in less than two months, right? And so if my wife and I wanted to have an evening away from the kids, first of all, we couldn't do that, right, because we have a seven-week-old. We, we can't leave her anywhere. But if, just imagine, we wanted a night away. We couldn't just say to the kids, now we're going out, but you are going to have all the help you need because you have a refrigerator, microwave, and television, right? No, no combination of appliances could ever be for my children what a person could be for them. When we leave our children, we leave them with someone who can do for them what we do for them. So when Jesus said, my father will send another helper, he, didn't, he couldn't have meant a force or an influence. He meant a person. And this is confirmed by what the Bible says the Spirit does. I mean, even here, if you look at verse 26 again, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. The Spirit teaches. He reminds 
We see elsewhere in the New Testament, the Spirit has a will. He has a mind. He loves. He leads. He can be grieved. The Spirit is not an it. He's a he. And he is God. And we see that in a couple ways in the Bible, but just to point out two, okay? So there's this place in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 5, and there's this couple in the church, Ananias and Sapphira. And Ananias and Sapphira, they want to seem more generous than they are. So they come to the apostles with this bundle of money, and they say, we sold some property that belongs to us, and we want to give all the money to the poor. Only it wasn't all the money. They sold their land, they pocketed some of it for themselves, and then they brought what was left over to the apostles. And, and Peter knows this, and he says, this is what he says in Acts 5.3, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? You have not lied to man, but to God. Lying to the Holy Spirit is lying to God. The Spirit is God. Paul says in 2 Corinthians, he says, Now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. The Lord is the Spirit. The Spirit is God. So what Jesus is pointing us to is a reality that is notoriously hard to understand, but consistently taught in Scripture. The reality that God is a trinity. He is one God existing in, eternally in three distinct persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So the Father is God, the Son is God, the Spirit is God, but the Father is not the Son, the Son is not the Spirit, the Spirit is not the Father, right? So that, I'm sure that's very clear. There's no problem there. This is not easy to understand, but it is what the Bible teaches. So let's look at just one other place. The first verse of John's Gospel, John 1, verse 1, he says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Okay? Now, verse 14 of the same chapter tells us who the Word is. He says, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So Jesus is the Word. So Jesus you got to track with me here. we got to use our brains. In the beginning, Jesus was with God, and he was God. So he was God. He was fully divine, and yet he was with God. He wasn't the Father. There are two persons there, both God, okay? Now, it's, it's the same with the Spirit. If you, were, if you were here for the beginning of our Genesis series, when we looked at Genesis chapter 1, you saw that there Moses said that when, in the beginning, when God created everything, the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the water. So the Spirit was there too in the beginning, before the beginning, Father, Son, and Spirit, not the same, but all God and all there. From eternity past, from before the beginning, God has existed in three distinct persons, Father, Son, and Spirit. And yet, the Bible's clear that there's only one God, right? Moses said famously in Deuteronomy, Hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. So the Father is God, the Son is God, and the Spirit is God, but there's only one God. And I know that doesn't make sense, right? That's hard to wrap your mind around. I know many Christians who believe in the Trinity. I don't know any who claim to fully understand it. And because we don't fully understand it, we try to capture it in an analogy, but all the analogies fall apart. So we say, oh, well, the Trinity is like an egg, right? An egg has a yolk and a white and a shell, but it's just one egg. Only the yolk isn't really fully egg, it's just part of the egg, but Jesus isn't part of God, so that doesn't really work. Or we say, well, it's like water. Water exists in three states, right? There's, there's ice, liquid water, steam, but they're all water, right? But 
Ice can melt and become liquid water. Liquid water becomes steam. Jesus never becomes the Father. So that, that doesn't work either. It, the, the Trinity is not something we can wrap our minds around. We can't put it in a little word picture, right? And to me, that's comforting because if, if it was easy to understand, I'd be afraid that somebody had made it up where no one would admit this. But the best, the best analogy I've heard is by C.S. Lewis. And this is, not, this is not so much an analogy as to what the Trinity is as to why it's hard for us to understand. And this, this I need you to follow me here, okay? It's good, but you gotta, you gotta sit up in your seats, turn on the brain. Here's how it goes, all right? So, and this, this, sorry, I should have said, it also involves reaching back to geometry. Do you remember geometry? If not, I'm gonna, I'll refresh you. If I say a two-dimensional shape, do you know what I mean by two-dimensional? It has length and width, but no height. So a square is two-dimensional. You tracking? And if I say three-dimensional, do you know what I mean? Like a cube is three-dimensional. It has length, width, and height. Okay, can you, I should have brought a cube. I don't have one. Can you imagine that I have one here between my hands? Let's use a cube as an example, okay? So a cube is made of six squares, right? Four on the sides, one on the top, one on the bottom, right? Six squares. So let's imagine that you lived in a world with only two dimensions, and someone tried to describe a cube to you, and they said, well, a cube, it's just, it's six squares, but one shape. And you would say, that's nonsense, because every square is a separate shape. You can't if you're six squares, you're six shapes. That's how it works. But it's, it's not because a cube can't exist. It's because there's nothing in your world like that. It's higher and greater than anything you've experienced. And that's why it's hard to wrap your mind around. And the Trinity is that way. To us, three persons means three gods, right? It, that's how it works. Every person we know is their own thing, But God says, the Bible says, God is three persons and one God. And the reason that's hard to grasp is it's just beyond everything that we've ever experienced. But that doesn't mean it's not true. The Bible insists that it is. Now, some of you are listening very politely, and I appreciate that, but you are thinking, why are we spending time on this? What practical difference does this make in my life? Shouldn't we be focusing on something important, like how God saves people, or how to pray, or how we're supposed to live. And to that, I'd say, you can't really understand any of that until you understand this. Because how, how does God save people? The Father plans salvation. The Son accomplishes it on the cross. The Spirit applies it to our hearts, right? How do we pray? To the Father, through the Son, who made a way by dying for us, in the Spirit, who helps us in our weakness. What, what's the Christian life? We live for the glory of the Father, as disciples of the Son, in the, in the power of the Spirit, right? The Trinity is, it's everything. It's everywhere. It's worth thinking deeply about. So this, this deserves a whole sermon series, which you should demand from whoever is your next lead pastor. <laughs> okay, but let's, let's pick up the thread of the passage. So who's the helper He's God the Spirit. Next, how does the helper help? Look look at verse 16 again. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. So I I don't know what your translation says. What the Bible in front of you says may not be helper. Some of them say comforter. Some of them say, I grew up, where I grew up in the Midwest United States, a comforter was like a heavy winter blanket. But some of them, that's, some of them say comforter. Some say counselor or advocate, at least one, it calls him the friend. 
And, and the reason why there are so many different ways to translate that is just the, the reality of the word behind that is that it's, it's hard to put into English. But, but what, it, what it means, what it comes from is it comes from a verb that means to call to one side. So you, you imagine someone being in some kind of trouble, some, something that's beyond their ability, beyond their strength, and they need someone to come to their aid. They call them to their side, right? I need someone who's with me and for me, someone who has a strength and an ability I don't have that can help me in my trouble, right? The, the word is often used of lawyers. So if, if your Bible says advocate or counselor, that's what it means. A lawyer, right? You, you imagine yourself falsely accused of some crime, and you don't, you don't know how to get out of it. You, 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 need, you need a lawyer. You need an advocate. You need someone who has an expertise and an ability, a way to get you out of the trouble you're in. Or imagine yourself that you've been wronged somehow. Some injustice has been done to you. You need a lawyer who can make sure that justice is done, right? You need to call someone to your side. That's the idea of the helper, someone who brings strength and an ability you, ha- you don't have, right? A helper, a helper can make it sound like it's someone who's sort of your assistant. And the Holy Spirit is nobody's assistant, but he comes to your side with strength. And he uses it for your good. And so the, the passage talks about at least three ways the Spirit helps us for our good. And the first is that he teaches God's truth. So look at verse 25. Jesus says, These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So this is why Jesus calls him in verse 17, the Spirit of truth. He teaches us the truth. And and the primary thing that Jesus has in mind here is the way the Spirit's going to come to the apostles and he's going to He's going to give them insight into what Jesus said. He's going to remind them of what Jesus taught and what Jesus did so that they could write it down perfectly in the New Testament of the Bible so that for all time we could have it to read. And we should be so thankful for this. Because when you, I mean, when you read the Gospels, have you read the Gospels? When you read the Gospels, you look at these, these disciples, they don't exactly inspire confidence, right? They, it seems like they... They'd never understand anything Jesus is talking about. They forget things that happened like the day before. You would never read this and think, now here's a group of guys that should write a book. I think I could really learn from what these guys have to say. That would never happen, right? The only reason we have what we have is because the spirit of truth came, taught them, gave them insight, gave them remembrance of what Jesus did, helped them to write it down so that we have this perfect flawless, powerful, wonderful book that unlocks for us the beauty of God and and how to live for him and what he's done for us in Christ. But the Spirit doesn't only teach through the inspiration of Scripture. He also has a ministry in our lives that Christians have called illumination. He turns the lights on. Okay, so some of us grew up in church. Maybe some of you, I know some of you, you can't ever remember not being a Christian, right? But some of you can you can remember when that changed for you. I, I grew up going to church. I grew up hearing about Jesus. I knew some things about the Bible, but it, it, I had no appetite for it, right? I, I w- we would be there every Sunday, and I could not stay awake during the sermon. And these were like 15-minute sermons, and I would just like, my head would go back. I'd you know, hit the, like the wall behind my head. We had to move as a family where we were sitting because it was so conspicuous that I would always fall asleep during the sermons, which is ironic considering what I'm doing at this very moment. But I, if I tried to read the Bible, I, it just, I, I couldn't make any sense of it. It didn't seem 
relevant to me. It was, to me, it was a dead book. And then, in university, I trusted Jesus, and all of a sudden, the Bible came alive. And I'd be reading things that I knew I'd read before, but all of a sudden, it was like, how did I not see this? This is amazing. This is talking about my life. What happened? The lights came on. When you trust in Jesus, the Spirit comes in and he, he begins teaching you through Scripture, helping you understand what he inspired the apostles to write. And, and it doesn't mean that Christians never get confused by the Bible, have no questions. It doesn't mean every time you read the Bible, your heart's just going to burn within you. But it, it does mean that the Bible, when you become a Christian, becomes for you a living book. You meet God here, God the Spirit So the helper teaches God's truth. What else? He secures God's presence. Now this passage is just shot through with the language of presence. Look at, at verse 16. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Verse 17. He dwells with you and will be in you. At the end of of verse 21, and he who loves me will be loved by my father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Verse 23, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Now remember that God is, he's three in one, right? Each person is distinct, they're inseparable. Wherever one is, all of them are there. So when the spirit comes into your life, the father and the son come too. They make their home with you. And you, you might remember, so last week, Adam preached on the beginning part of, of John 14. And in the beginning part, Jesus says to his disciples, I'm going away, but I'm preparing a place for you. And in my Father's house, there are many rooms. Do you remember that? In my Father's house, there are many dwelling places. There are many places for you in my Father's house. That's the same word he uses here. So what he's saying, what Jesus is saying is, someday, when I return, I'm going to take you to be with me, and, and you will have your home where I am. But until then, I'm sending the Spirit so that I and my Father, we can have our home with you. There's there's a very real sense in which when the Spirit comes into your life, he brings heaven into your hearts, the presence of God. He secures God's presence with us forever. And can we just appreciate what that means? The only time that humans have ever lived in have ever been completely happy, utterly fulfilled, was when they lived in the fullness of the presence of God in, in the garden at the beginning. And when, when we sinned and we were cast out of the garden, we lost that, that fullness of God's presence, his nearness, right? It, he, they, they captured it. The people experienced it in small ways, like God would live among his people in a tent or in the temple. But even then, he was at arm's length. You couldn't get in to where he was. And then Jesus came, Right? God with us. God, you could feel God's hand on your shoulder. You could sit at a table with him and hear what he had to say. And he's saying that when the Spirit comes, it's, he's, God's presence comes even closer. It's not just God with us. It's God in us. God in our hearts. God in our minds. God with us wherever we go and whatever we face. And what's true where God is? Where God is, there is fullness of joy. Where God is, there's love that stretches to the heavens. Where God is, there's hope, because God's greater than any circumstance. Where God is, there's growth. He doesn't let us stay the same. And where God is, there's peace. And that's the third way the helper helps. Look at verse 27. Peace I leave with you. 
My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. The helper brings God's peace. Now God gives a peace the world can't. Every kind of peace in this world can be taken away. If, if what gives you peace of heart is your savings and your investment, markets crash. If what gives you peace of heart is your health, you can get sick and you will get old. If what gives you peace of heart is just escaping your life, whether it's through travel or entertainment or something you drink or something you smoke, that only distracts you. Everything you're afraid of is still out there. The only reality that can actually bring peace to your heart so that you're not troubled and you're not afraid is having a helper who you know is greater than anything you could face and is with you forever. And Christian, you do. So if you have trusted in Jesus and you don't have peace, you're anxious and you're afraid, is it possible that you're not making time in your life to experience the help of the helper? Are there times when you give your full attention to his teaching in and through scripture? Are there moments when you turn your thoughts away from everything else so you can become aware of his presence? Jesus has sent the Spirit because he wants you to have peace. He wants you to know the truth. He wants you to experience his presence. Do you welcome his help? And if we're going to have his help, we need to ask one final question, which is, whom does the helper help? Now, it's clear from the passage, the helper doesn't help everyone, right? Look at verse 17. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. So, so who does he help? It's the people he describes in verse 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. And he says it again in verse 21. <clears throat> Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And that's the one he loves and manifests himself to. Or verse 23. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and that's the one in whom the Father and the Son dwell. The helper helps those who love and obey Jesus, and those will always go together. He says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Now, we have to be careful here, right? Don't, don't hear him say, I'll only love you if you love me first, as if the initiative were ours, if there's, there's anything we could do, right? Jesus has been clear about that. In chapter 6, verse 44, he says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. So no one ever loves God unless God loves him first and draws him to Jesus. In ourselves, we want nothing to do with God, right? Romans, Paul says in Romans 3, No one seeks for God. No one seeks for God unless God seeks him first. <clears throat> The only way we come to love Jesus is by seeing his love first and having our hearts melted by it. Has that happened to you? Have you seen it? Can you see it here? Look at verse 30. <clears throat> Excuse me. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. Here's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, my doom 
approaches. The ruler of this world is coming. The ruler of this world here is what he means. He means Satan. Satan has filled Judas. Judas has betrayed me. They're coming to arrest me. Jen, you, thank you so much. You with me? So he's saying the ruler of this world is approaching. Satan has filled Judas. Judas has betrayed me. He's coming. This is the end for me. And, and what he says is, I'm going to be arrested and mocked and whipped and crucified. And he says, rise, let us go. Let's go meet it. Let's go meet my doom. I'm going willingly. He has no claim on me. I'm not going because I have to. I'm going because I love the Father. And the Father loves you. And the Father sent me to save you. And I want to do that. I want to go. I'm, he's leaning in to the cross. Do you see his love? I mean, has anyone in your life loved you like that? Loved you to death? No one loves you like God. He gave his son. And if you see his love, and if you know it's for you, that will change your heart. You'll love him back. And because you love him, you want to please him. You'll obey him. And you will be one of those whom the helper helps. So when Jesus says that he will send the helper to those who love and obey him, he means Christians. He means those who have seen his love, responded to it, trusted in him, love him back, are living for him. The Spirit indwells everyone who's responded to God's love. But let's not hurry past what he says. He says, it's those who love him and obey his commandments. If you're a Christian and you're not experiencing the work of your Holy Spirit in your life, it's worth asking, are you, am I, loving and obeying him? Am I I expecting to be able to live contrary to the will of God, to be doing something I know he doesn't want me to do, but just think that the Holy Spirit is sort of this automatic thing where... I can just live however I want to live, but because at some point I've trusted in Jesus, I can just always have his help. That's not how it works. The Spirit doesn't leave Christians, but you can grieve the Spirit. You can resist the Spirit. You can not walk in step with the Spirit. Are you? Are you not experiencing the Spirit because you're not obeying Jesus? Or is it possible you've never come to love him at all? This is what it means to be a Christian. You realize that you deserve to die for your sins against God. And you see that he sent his son to die instead of you to save you. And you trust that son. You love that son. And you turn from your life to live for him. And you discover as you live for him that you're not alone. That God himself, God the Spirit, has come into your life opening your eyes to his beauty and his truth, helping you change, giving you joy and hope and peace that nothing in the world can match and nothing in the world can touch. Do you have this? Are you a Christian? If you're not sure, or if you have to admit, no, this is, that's all outside my experience, please know that God offers it to you as a gift. Earlier in John's gospel, Jesus stood up at a different festival, and he said, if anyone thirsts, Let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And John tells us this he said about the Spirit. He says, if you thirst, 
If you lack, if you don't have the life in you that I offer, come to me and rivers of life will flow from within you. You will have the spirit by faith. If you lack the joy and peace of the helper, trust in Jesus and receive the gift of this life. Let's pray. Our Lord, we thank you for the helper that you and the Father have sent. We thank you that we are never alone, that you are always with us, that we are never apart from your love and your peace and your joy and your power, and we want to experience more of the helper's work. And so help us to trust in you. Help us to turn from whatever is drawing us into the world. Help us to make space in our lives for your word and your presence. And, and I pray that we would have the experience of his peace, that we would have the experience of life flowing from within us, and that you would reveal yourself to the world through us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.